Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, I'm Josh Rios, host of Adweek Radio, a bi-weekly podcast from Adweek. We'll be highlighting stories from advertising, media, and everywhere in between. Stories from cannabis to wellness and even agencies. Tune in to Adweek Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast in quarantine uh, for... I've lost track of how many weeks, um, but I'm David Greiner, creative and innovation editor with Adweek, and uh, with me as always is Co M, our department's editor. Co, how are you holding up? You know what? Some days are better than others. Um, I know this quarantine is a marathon, and we are trying to do a lot uh, with a lot of limitations. And this week, you know, we're going to talk about how to lead, how to create in quarantine, and look at some of the good stuff that's coming out of this very uncertain time. Um, and with us today, we also have our senior editor, Doug Sanger. How are you doing over there in Portland? I'm cool, as cool as can be. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's challenging for people who are in cities. Uh, you know, we're, we're lucky that we have a little bit of space to roam. Um, so yeah, we're we're doing as well as we can. I think the biggest challenge is uh, the homeschooling part. That's really really hard. So yeah, but we're doing okay, all things considered. We do have something to celebrate, though. I don't want to um, forget that you know there there are little things and big things to to look forward to. And uh, one thing I want to congratulate David Greiner on is getting a shorty for the AI bot uh tell us again how this came about just well hold on i have to give a proper you have to give a proper like you know hand clap a little at least a golf clap for him jeez you can give me the the silent zoom clap the really awkward like everyone please apply on mute clap yeah yeah the mute (laughs) it's just silence of of the podcast uh yeah so super bowl bot uh ad week's uh weird ai project uh that uh i did with uh, patrick culp our emerging tech writer uh who has been on the show a few times and is our ai guru uh Patrick and I were just uh, chatting, I think I want to say in like October of last year, we were planning our Super Bowl coverage. And I said, uh, you know, Patrick was telling me about the, the kind of the newest types of, of AI and how the technology had evolved. And I said, we should write an ad, uh, we should write a bot that cre- creates Super Bowl ads. And we went for it. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of in this phase of my life now where I used to come up with dumb ideas all the time and then I would laugh and move on. But now I'm just like, hey, why not? Like, I, I think maybe it's just kind of where I am in my career or where this industry is uh, with media. But I feel like if you have a weird idea and no one else has done it, it, you know, give it a shot. Go do it. 
And uh, in this case, it was especially easy because Patrick is uh, much smarter than I am. And so he was able to build Oh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so admittedly a low bar. Um, he, uh, he whipped up, I think in like one afternoon, whipped up Super Bowl Bot using only uh, open source AI platform. Uh, and... I think it's called CPT2, uh, and anyone can access it. And part of our one of the ground rules that that we laid out early is we did not want to do anything that that anyone could not do. That like we wanted to only use tools that were available to everybody. Mm. So um, we built Super Bowl Bot, and it started writing very surreal pitches. <laughs> um, yep. We we've we've featured some of those uh, on previous episodes, but uh, some of you who listen to the podcast uh, a lot may remember that Wix, the web design company, actually ended up recording an ad based on the Loved script. It. Uh, that the eight, and that was one of the earliest Super Bowl bot iterations back when it really did not know what it, it was chaos in those early days. Um, but we kept training it, kept teaching it about uh, Super Bowl ads, kept getting smarter. And by the time Super Bowl came along, we had it rewrite Super Bowl ads kind of in real time <laughs> to say like how, how the bot thinks they should have been. I remember during the game, people were tweeting like this ad, like real ads had Super Bowl bot vibes. <laughs> so oh we were, uh, we were really proud of it. And uh, honestly, the whole point of the project uh, wasn't branded or anything. We didn't make any money off of it per se. We just, uh, we just wanted to learn more about the platform and about AI and the, its potential to write copy to come up with ads. And uh, yeah, it was very shocked uh, in a, in the best way to learn this past week that it won uh, both the jury's choice and the people's choice and the shorty awards for best use of AI. Uh, and we we were up against the reason I was not the reason I was surprised I guess is we were up against three major brand campaigns like major there was a big telecom there was a bank uh, and then um, say who they were just go on do it well no, I mean that's like one was like a Turkish telecom one was DBS was the bank and then uh -huh. uh, and then Wavio Wavio how do you say it that did the C sound. Uh -huh. Campaign. Who was the uh, can winner? Who was the can winner? Yeah, so Wavio's C Sound campaign uh, won the Grand Prix in innovation at last year's Can Lions, and that's who we were up against. So I was not tremendously <laughs> optimistic that a zero budget project uh, created uh, by two randos uh, would would win it, but it did. Uh, and I think honestly, I don't know exactly why it was selected, but I I think that it's because it. It's a better illustration of kind of where AI is headed and how people can use it without having to build anything really fancy. So anyway, um, just big, to, just big, enjoy the enjoy the fact that that I, I'm about to pen a letter and actually physically mail it to the can lines and tell them that you deserve a Grand Prix for this. Yeah, the the I, missing I, since they're not going to have a, a can this year, they might as well just like give me the honorary Grand Prix. I think and, so. <laughs> I think it's well earned. <laughs> I'm being I'm being a little defensive and maybe a little protective of uh, you know the team here, but you know I'm just saying. No, it was um, you know what what I take a lot of joy in the fact that I love seeing small projects that have big ideas behind them. I I, I love those and they are what make mm -hmm. my job super fun. Uh, they're what make working at Adweek fun. Just working in this kind of modern digital landscape. Uh, obviously cannot thank uh, Patrick Culp enough uh, for all of his work on the bot and uh, really bringing it to life and just kind of letting me be the weirdo who said, now we should have it write a song. Now we should have it write a poem. My, mm -hmm. I, th I think my personal favorite is we had it create a bingo card. Do, do you all remember that? <laughs> we had to make a yes. big, 
a bingo card for the Super Bowl itself. And then it was like things to look for. And one of them was like the robot uprising, I think, was in there. It's like, what do you have planned, bud? Oh, man. We should like, we should play with it for quarantine and coronavirus. Um, we tried. We we actually took a few. Uh, I transcribed some some ads um, for from coronavirus and to see if there if there was a way for it to to write a um, to in write these a uncertain times. In these uncertain times, yeah. So it, we're still working on it. There may be something there, but uh, no, Co. We we uh, we we were we're right there with you. We're right there with like you. mine. Yeah. Well, well, congratulations again, Griner. I mean, I think uh, it's I think it just like really stands out, and um, small things can have big impacts. So, well, it, it's a nice segue too to our topic today. Of the first thing we want to talk about, we this is a, t- a subject we have broached uh, a few times over the last few weeks um, because it is a bright spot. To your point, Co, is creativity in quarantine. Uh, obviously. Uh, Doug, I think the last time we had you on uh, was to talk about how the production industry had largely ground to right. a halt. Uh, that hasn't hasn't really changed. Um, but no. Doug, before we get into specific examples, I'm curious, um, kind of what you've thought since we last talked about that, about how the ad industry has uh, kind of embraced getting things done without having access to this traditional production process anymore. I, it's like anything. The being resourceful. I think the best agencies and the best production companies, and just the best creative people in general, may have a lot of tools around them. But the difference is, is how resourceful they can be in in the moment. And, you know, and you, I actually I go back to the Super Bowl commercial that seventy two and Sunny did with the NFL. There were several twists and turns. I mean, everyone seems to think it was you know smooth sailing. There are all sorts of little pivots and you know resourceful things that needed to happen. So I think that what I find what I find heartening is that there are quite a few creative people in this industry who are used to that. They're used to constraint. They're used to having to figure out how to make that square peg fit into that round hole. So I think that that's a muscle that has been built. Uh, over time, now it's just been really put into overdrive. So I think that uh, I think everyone's doing the best that they can. I think that everyone is really looking at what's the next step in this, and they're jonesing to you know jonesing to get back out there. Um, and my thinking is is that there's going to be some really interesting creativity that's that's going to come out as things start getting back to wherever they're going to get back to. Um, but I, I, I think that there's a fatigue. I've heard from some people of, you know, and we, we were joking about it, but, you know, the, the in, in a, uh, you know, in these unprecedented times and this, you know, so this, the semantics of communication in this time are becoming fatiguing to people. So I think the one thing that creatives are looking at is exploring how to say it differently, how to position uh, the challenges of coronavirus and COVID-19. How do you position it slightly, you know, differently, but still make the impact? So, um, yeah, I, I, we're in this really interesting, uh, really interesting transition phase between really stark, straight up informational to inspirational to, you know, everywhere in between. So, uh, I, I think that I think they're ready 
to move on to the next thing, but they're also embracing the challenge of, of what's next because they're building it. There's again, there's no, there's no history for this um, because it doesn't, we don't know if there's an end, you know, we, we go back to like the, the economic crash of 2008, 2009, you go back to that recession, you talk about nine 11 for me, it was when I graduated in 1991, the job market wasn't great. You know, it was, it was pretty bad too. And you know, managed to mush that into one and then set it on fire. That's kind of what it feels like right now. Uh, so there's really no, there's no playbook on this and it's being written. And I think six months from now, I'll be interested to see what that looks like creatively. I think you bring up that really good point of um, how creatives are used to working with and around constraints, Um, you know, because I look at anyone who produces anything and I'm astounded, right? I'm so Mm -hmm. amazed at what can come out that's actually relatable or funny or um, really like hits home or hits a a feeling. Um, And I'm really interested you know, to see how everything continues to transition out of um, shelter in place eventually. Um, and, you know, seeing seeing them not so much flex their muscles, but use their muscles in, in a different way. I, I think about like, you know, I went back to the marathon example. Um, you know, if somebody had asked me to run a marathon, it would take a while to train that, train my body. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But if somebody said, you know, um, go meditate for a while, that would be like an easier access point for me. And then I could find those like nuances and like new ways, I think. Right. And here's, and here's an interesting, I'm glad you brought that up because here's an interesting point as well, is that there is this push and there is chatter around in-house agencies and what brands are doing internally to push push messaging out. And this is also a time when Agencies can really show brands what they are capable of. I am a firm believer that agencies do wonderful work. They're terrible at marketing themselves. I was in radio for 15 years, and, and radio, you know, back then was a great medium. Still, you know, they they don't know how to market themselves. And the same with agencies. Agencies play defense. This is a time for agencies to get on offense to demonstrate that in a moment like this that they're able to create things that transcend what's happening. They're able to create things that are meaningful. So my hope is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to dislike in-house agencies or brands. I think they're great. Uh, but I also think that it's also a time for agencies to get on the front foot and for brands to understand that, yeah, they might be your vendor, but when you treat them like a partner and you trust that they're going to do the right thing, they're going to do great things for you. So you know, not to, not to be too rah-rah about it, but I also see this is this is a really good opportunity and potentially a turning point for agencies, especially since we're seeing so much bad news coming out uh, with layoffs, furloughs, and pay cuts. Yeah, let's. Um, th- that's a good transition to one of I think the most high profile ads. Nah, probably the the most high profile ad yeah. uh, of this era was State Farm. Um, and by the time you listen to this, we're recording this on Friday. There may have been another one because it is part of the Last Dance. Uh, which is the uh, ten part, I believe, uh, documentary series uh, about the what, 97, 98 season, I believe, right for the uh, Chicago Bulls. And, so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, sadly, I haven't gotten to watch it yet. I'm, I'm not a big basketball fan, but I am a big documentary <gasps> fan. So, yeah. this so is a piece. I, this is a piece of American history that all should watch. 
I know, like, uh, I, and I live in, uh, I have a special connection uh, to Michael Jordan because uh, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, do you the remember Barons. his connection? Yes. Birmingham played, Barons. He yeah. played for the Birmingham Barons, our minor league baseball team, when he decided to get into baseball uh, at the end there. Um, so anyway, he, uh, during that documentary, uh, in slightly in advance of it, uh, ESPN's Creative Works, their in-house studio, worked with uh, the agency Translation that does a lot of the basketball work, uh, pretty much all the basketball work for State Farm. And State Farm was one of, I think, only four sponsors that they let in uh, to that event. There was a lot riding on um, The Last Dance because so many sporting events have been canceled uh, that a lot of people saw it as kind of the only, you know, the only food left at the buffet uh, when when all this other stuff was gone. And so people, there was going to be a lot of demand for it. And they decided to really kind of control the access sponsors had. It was only a few. Uh, Reese's was one that a lot of people were like, okay, I get it. Lots of Reese's. Uh, but State Farm really earned a ton of points with their uh, – they did a deep fake ad where it started out, looked like we were in – just watching more 1998 archival footage, but it was not to be. Uh, I know you have probably seen this ad because it got tons of attention, but let's listen to it in its entirety so you can hear the entire uh, premise. Let's get right to it. The Chicago Bulls have won their second three-peat. This is the kind of stuff that ESPN will eventually make a documentary about. They'll call it something like The Last Dance and make it a 10-part series and release it in the year 2020. It's going to be lit. You don't even know what that means yet. While I'm making predictions, jeans will get extra tight. There'll be a thing called a butt fumble. And this clip will be used to promote the documentary in a State Farm commercial. It's just a hunch. So it's fair to say, I think this is the first ad I've seen really blow up Twitter and social media and news coverage. Um, you know, since this quarantine era began, I remember a lot of people saying, oh, we can't really make ads anymore. But this ad is basically a deep fake, you know, with Kenny Mayne subbing in his own voice, his own mouth for, um, uh, you know, into himself uh, circa 1998. But uh, it's such a great example of a concept that doesn't require any traditional shooting. It's a great premise. Uh, it's a, to your point, Doug, it's a good partnership between an agency and an in-house studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, all around just seemed like a huge win for, for everybody. I mean, it got so, you know, it was a promo for the show. So ESPN also uh, got a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah, I think that what will be interesting to see is what the next steps are. Because the first thing of anything is is always, uh, you know, it comes out like a bolt of lightning, right? And when I started in this industry long ago, I think one of the things that... Um, I really enjoyed was in the output and understanding the process was that was a sense of wonder about the work. And I think the State Farm ad is one of those things where it, it instills and reinstills that sense of wonder. Um, now, next steps, you know, if, if there is one, in fact, uh, on Sunday, if there's another one, what's that going to look like? What will the imitators look like? Because invariably, that's that's what's going to, to happen with this. Um, and in some cases that's okay. In other cases it's not. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, we talk about boldness. We talk about being brave and bravery. Uh, that was, I mean, that's a big swing. That's a real big swing. I love that it, um, also tapped into nostalgia, um, you know, and having the familiar faces of Kenny Mayne and Linda Cohen. I don't know how they kind of like, did the aesthetics, um, the old school aesthetics there, but you know, it, I think at a time when we don't know a lot, 
having someone we know and also you know it plays cleverly into like hey we're predicting what's going to happen in the future and then you know the audience knows that hey this is happening right now i think it also kind of really subtly tapped into like the feel good the knowingness of of you know the last dance um so i also really enjoyed it as a semi as a jordan fan um and I wouldn't say that I'm an NBA nerd, but definitely as a Jordan fan. Well, and, and I guess what I would point out about it in terms of the nostalgia aspect is normally I'm not a big fan of nostalgia advertising because it's usually just like, oh, here's a hot bowl of oatmeal. You know what I mean? It's just this like comfort food where you're like, so there's not really a concept here. You're just showing me an old t- – like you're showing me a, a Family Matters episode or you're showing me, you know – that's so Raven. I don't know, something that's supposed to play off my nostalgia. But there's not usually very much of a premise. Um, this one, you know, it it was less, to me, of a nostalgia play than it was a, a just an absolute head fake. Uh, it's almost native content, right? Like native advertising. It's like we're going to invade 1998 footage in a show about 1998. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just huge props. It's a uh, it's definitely, like I said, been one of the most talked about, but I think there are quite a few others that have been produced in really clever ways uh, that we want to make time to shout out. Burger King, of course, has just been putting on a clinic, uh, as they have for the last few years now and in all other ways. Uh, but, you know, as I think we've discussed on the podcast before that Fernando Machado, the global CMO, basically said that once he felt sure that they as a company were contributing back to society, that they were donating to the, you know, to help relief and aid and looking out for their employees, uh, offering, um, I'm trying to remember, I, I think they offered, they, they expanded their paid sick leave uh, and a bunch of other things. So once he felt like they were checking the boxes of doing the right thing, then he was okay with them having fun with advertising. He did not want to like put the advertising in front of the um you know, in front of the important work. And so since then, they've been doing quite a few uh, fun things. Uh, most recently, this one's silly, but I, I weirdly love it, is they are running a TV ad with a QR code that bounces around, like that old screensaver uh, where, like, the logo bounces, <laughs> like, slowly around, the, and you always hope it'll hit the corner. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And, and there was, like, that whole Office episode where I think where they're all, like, staring at the television and Michael Scott doesn't realize it's because they're all, like, just waiting for the logo to hit the corner of the screen. And so it's just that – it's just, like, a, a junky, cheap-looking QR code bouncing around, and that's it. I don't think the ad even says anything. And the whole point is if you can scan that QR code, if you're one of the first 10,000 people who scans it while it's on TV, then you'll get a free Whopper. And yeah, like you said, take your DVR, hit pause, get out your phone, and then you're done. Yep, yep. And uh, but you know, it's like you have to think to pause it first. Uh, you have to know what a QR code is. Um, yeah. And so you know, I I liked it partly because the whole point was to gamify an ad on television in a way that's only on television. Like the, there is a version on YouTube, there is a version on AdWeek.com. Uh, but if you scan that one, it takes you to a website. It's like, come on, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I trust me. I obviously tried it right away, um, but the uh, you know this is not the first free Whopper they've offered. They they just did one the other day for students who are not in school anymore, and they had uh, that basically these questions that uh, students could answer about history, science, math, and then you got a free Whopper. So I mean they're giving they're doing promotions left and right. They they as I think we talked about in a previous episode, they waived delivery fees uh, for their stay home of the Whopper campaign. 
And um, but yeah, it's just you know that gamifying a simple TV ad. It's just it's just smart. That one was out of uh, David Sao Paulo uh, in Brazil. Uh, David, of course, the Ogilvy owned network that does a lot of work for Burger King. But you know they've been cranking out work across their agency portfolio, which is very large. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, go to one that I really liked and that Zanger wrote about, uh, which was from Yeti. And, you know, in a time when, you know, you're trying to create different things, it's like, okay, what are we really about? And what do people really want? And maybe they just want the sound of rushing water <laughs> and waterfalls. So let's take a quick listen to something very relaxing. So, Doug, what did you think of the ad and how did it come about? Well, I'm partial to it because there's an Oregon stream in there. Um, I thought it was cute. I mean, obviously, um, <clears throat> ASMR is a thing. This is similar but different. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a kind of a little goof on the fact that there are 8 million streaming services now. Uh, so it's clever. It's very Yeti. It's an Austin-based brand. In fact, their VP of brand, uh, Polly Derry, who was, who was mentioned in the piece, uh, was one of our Austin brand stars uh, back in March. And it just it feels completely on brand. And the idea is, is that you can't be out there yet, but you know, we'll, we'll bring it to you as best we can. So I, I liked the simplicity of it. I liked the fact that they packaged it as just... Um, you know, a simple little quote streaming service and put a plus on it because that seems like what every third streaming <laughs> service is right now. Oh God, it's uh, more than that. It's like th- four out of five have plus on the name. They have plus, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So now again, it, it, it goes back to um, an idea of being just simple. You know, is this going to drive product? Is it, Who knows? Who knows? But it's just, it's a nice little diversion um, and it it fits their brand and their ethos really well. It's like the fire log of the quarantine, and oh, you know. right. Yeah. Um, let's let's b- before we run out of time, let's shout out a few more. Um, I wanted to give a shout to uh, the greetings from lockdown uh, yes. postcard postcard project. So good. Uh, this was not specifically an agency project. It was from two uh, creatives at FCB Chicago, Robin Frost and Victoria Rosselli. Uh, and who are not creative partners, but they're friends, and they had been sending each other kind of their views out their window. And then that evolved into the idea of turning those into kind of these vintage-looking postcards. And, they're you know, it's lovely. It's like uh, I just – I've loved all of these kind of tourism – without tourism campaigns. Like we, we've mm-hmm. – I think we've talked about a few. Uh, but this is like just this idea of, you know, staying home, n- not going anywhere. Um, but I, I, it's funny. Now I want, I want to see everyone's view. Like, because the point is not that it's lovely. In fact, in most of the cases, it's just, it's just a normal view. Um, but I, I kind of, it like, I take my view for granted. I have a pretty good one because uh, my backyard is, is you know, pretty nice. Um, and I just sit in the back and stare out the window while I'm typing. But, you know, some people have nice views of the cityscape. Others are out in the middle of nowhere. And now I'm just kind of fascinated to see these, like, windows into everyone's uh work but you know a great example Wait, do you have to a- frame it like a window hold on I'm, I'm trying to send you one or, or just like hold on am i supposed to am i supposed to frame the window in it or am i or, or yeah. do i just take a picture yeah. of my backyard no no it's, your window's got to be in there the window has to be in there but there's yeah. a screen on it 
Okay. So I have to also re-clean my windows, and then I will (laughs) share my view. (laughs) Yeah, mine, mine are... Mine are admittedly always pretty gross. Um, the uh, yeah, this, yeah, this, this, this is not is like sponsored the, the, by Windex. <laughs> this the Instagram the Instagram aspect of this is like whenever you're about to take a picture of something and you're like, oh wait, hold on, that's really gross. Let me go clean that real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's my instinct. <laughs> hold um, but uh, keep talking. I'm gonna send it over to you. <laughs> I actually because I want because I want Robin I want Rob, I want them to do, I want them to to do mine yes. <laughs> I want them to make mine in a post. Greetings from from sunny Portland, Oregon. Um, right. The uh, and then and then one other I want to shout out it was kind of obscure but it did very well uh, was a German pharmacy chain called Rossmann, and they like le- did a legit shoot uh, although it's obviously social distance because everyone in the ad is is wearing. A mask, and um, I'm sure they were very careful, uh, as Berlin is, you know, still under pretty good quarantine. But because it's a pharmacy, uh, there are still people going there. It is an essential business; it's still open, uh, and people have to wait outside, and they have to wait in a line. I mean, many of you listening to this probably know the know the deal. If you have to go to a Trader Joe's or whatever and wait in line outside, and so the joke that they basically played is that reimagining pharmacies and grocery stores as clubs. And so everyone looks like they're out on the street waiting to get into a club, and they're all dressed up, and they have their masks on, and then the bouncer lets them in, and they get in and start dancing. And then it changes up, and you see that the woman is dancing in the middle of a pharmacy, <laughs> and everyone's just kind of staring at her. And it's like it's hard to describe. It's a very visual ad. It's all in German, but not that that matters. The, the message in German is basically, until we can all celebrate together, um, So so kind of hinting like, you know, we can't go clubbing. Obviously, club scene, nightclub scene is a big deal uh, in Germany and Brazil, in, in Berlin specifically. And uh, so they, the bouncer, by the way, small little fun fact, the bouncer is a Berlin rapper named Massive. Uh, and so they, they obviously had some fun with it. But, you know, it was lighthearted. It was fun. There's nothing like scary in it, but it's reflective of the reality. And I, I, I think it's the kind of ad that a lot of brands are probably afraid to make because they would feel that they're not being sincere enough or not being respectful enough or of the of this moment and everyone all the reactions were like all the reactions to the ad were super positive it's gotten over a million views on instagram it's a pharmacy ad uh it's got right. a, a, hundreds of thousands of likes and they said that for every like they get they're going to donate to this uh nonprofit that's helping or this cause that's helping the nightclub industry the the employees who had to be uh let go because of that and uh you know, it's done great. The only negative comments I've seen were people saying, my local Rossman isn't good. The employees aren't good about wearing masks, uh, which oh, isn't. okay. It, that's interesting because I've had that same problem with chains like Aldi. Uh, like my local Aldi employees look like it's just any given Tuesday. They mm. are just no masks. They're hanging out next to each other. And I'm just like, really, guys? Like, like your company is giving you all this stuff. Like, you got the screens, you got the masks. Let's let's use them. What it, what I love about it is, you know, not only is she having like the time of her life at this pharmacy slash club, but you know, it's really um, an honest depiction of our alternate reality in our minds right now. Like, whenever I put on music and I walk down the street, I'm just like I'm in a movie. You know, like like I'm I'm like the 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 heroine of some movie that like that gets fresh air and like it's a, it's a turning point happening you know it's i think it shows 
it really does a good job of highlighting, you know, German culture and also, you know, visually reminding us about social distancing and mass. So that was a really, really fun one. Well, we got time for one more. Doug, any uh, last uh, creative and quarantine projects or ads that you want to shout out? Mm, no. Uh, <laughs> no. No, you you got the German club one. I mean, we we cover, we cover. There's going to be plenty more. Are you being we'll, creative we'll, with we'll re- homeschool? We'll I'm. Am I creatively hopeful? No. Are you being creative with homeschool? Oh, creative with homeschool. Uh, <laughs> I, boy, I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, we try, just be honest. Uh, no, we're no. It's terrible. No. It sucks. No. <laughs> the, I did. I did see a headline this past week. Like. The AP had a story that was basically parents saying, I, I can't, I can't do it. It's and, so hard. And it, and it was basically talking about how we've, we've all reached this point where we, we've tried, God knows we've tried, we have put in the effort and our kids are being troopers, but you just, you cannot live your own life, be a working adult, be productive, be there for everything right. else you need to be at and also still be like an educator. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know what? I I give Microsoft a ton of credit for instituting 12-week paid family leave for I mean, that's incredible because if, you know, if if everybody had that that especially that have you know that that are dealing with this right now, to be able to have those 12 weeks to actually set a foundation because I I'm sure the kids will be fine, but it's it's one of the things where it's it's establishing rhythm it's establishing um you know protocols it's establishing a routine and it's just so disjointed because for working parents it's it's really challenging and it just comes and fits and starts and i think that's the frustration and i think the thing that that i have to remind myself is is you you do the best that you can and you know there's that natural feeling of am i failing my child uh, but you're really not. You're doing the best that you can considering the circumstances. Yeah, and it goes back to the marathon analogy I was referencing. And, you know, if you had, you know, 12 weeks of family leave um, to just train for a marathon of homeschooling, like you would be in a better place if that was the only thing you had to do, right? So yep. I do want to, you know, thank you for your vulnerability too. And I also want to, Um, take a break. And after the break, we're going to talk to an organizational psychologist and a leadership expert who can really, um, you know, tell us more about how it's good for team leaders to share vulnerabilities like that, and also what to do so that you don't feel so overwhelmed and you can eventually get to a creative space. So stick with us and we will be right back. All right, so we are back with a very special guest. We have Dr. Nicole Lipkin of Equilibria Leadership Consulting and Dr. Lipkin or Nicole. Nicole, so thank you for, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, what I love about your work is that you are an organizational psychologist and a leadership expert at once. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and what you're working on these days? Sure, sure. So my background is I'm a clinical psychologist and organizational psychologist. So I do I just specialize in leadership development, executive coaching. So these days it's been quite interesting um, because I'm, I'm working with a lot of my companies and executives and CEOs on managing, obviously, their headspace during this crisis. So I think one of the things that um, is very clear I mean, we are all struggling 
and and when you are also responsible for leading a team or leading a company or whatever it might be or leading a family um uh, having to shoulder um having to shoulder the weight of managing the health the financial and future health of the company along with all of your um employees is quite yeah it's a lot as well it's as a as lot. Well as your own head space, head space. And one of my one of my CEOs put it the best. He said, "I'm calm, cool, and collected. I am, I am doing, I am doing this. I am doing so well. But if I can't find my remote control, forget about it." <laughs> <laughs> yes, my Fire Stick is missing somewhere in my studio. Oh. Um, but you know, we we all have um, different things pulling at us. We all yeah. have to prioritize our days. The interesting thing, I think, sometimes what the brain does, you know, it's sometimes able to focus, and then sometimes, you know, um, you we get into a rut. Um, so. I'd love to hear more about what you're hearing on the leadership level. I mean, are they kind of just zoning out to tune in? Um, what do you recommend that leaders um, do in the workspace to make sure that their teams know their priorities um, and that you know business is um, top of mind during the day? Yeah. So I think this, I think you know there's a couple of things that you said. And I, you know, you talked about the brain and like what it does. You know, it's very interesting. As humans, we're great at, at dealing with acute stress, and what I mean by that is like short-term stress. We're not great, and evolutionarily speaking, uh, that's how we survived as a species. But we're not great at dealing with ongoing prolonged stress, and and that's what's happening right now. Like it's about two or three weeks. We're great, and then and then not so great. And given and on top of that. Um, human brains don't deal well with ambiguity or change. And we couldn't be living in a more ambiguous time right now and, and, and changing more. Um, so we're dealing with prolonged stress and, and the, and the, and being forced to change and living in very uncertain, ambiguous times. So our brains are all on fire and leaking out at this point, whether, whether people look like it or not, they are lighting up left and right. So I think one of the things that leaders really can do for themselves and for other people, and this is just not, I'm talking also about self-leadership. It doesn't matter if you're leading a team. It doesn't matter if you're home alone. It doesn't matter if you're with a partner, raising a family, whatever it is. I think one of the most important things that we can do right now is play to our biology instead of against it. So given that our brains are a little bit on fire, um, you know, when you keep it, it, it probably feels the amount of stuff that needs to be done probably feels completely overwhelming. When you keep things in your brain, it blows up even more. It escalates like the it's it's kind of like going through that emotional center, your limbic system, the amygdala. It's, it's 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 exaggerating things. So one of the best things you can do right now is get it out of your head on paper and run it through this simple exercise. If I don't do this task right now. Is it going to cause significant problems professionally or personally? And if you go through each task and kind of just like very logically, like yes for today versus the things that can be put off a month from now or two months from now, and really logically go through that, you're helping your brain organize and focus on what absolutely is priority. And as leaders working with teams, that is something that you can do with people that can be so helpful, help them prioritize. Because right now, like I said, people's brains are not, are not working the way, you know, like full power. They're, they're stressed out. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're fatigued. So 
that is one way that we can help. Another way is kind of setting boundaries um, within the day. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now our work is bleeding over into everything we do because it's, or, or our life is bleeding over into everything we do. Setting boundaries throughout your day, like this is going to be the chunk of time I'm focusing on this. This is going to be the chunk of time I'm focusing on that is super helpful. So you're not bleeding into other aspects of your life, which is so easy right now. Uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things I, I think a really good piece of advice is like um, that one of my colleagues had is like she starts who's raising who has a child at home, she starts her day by playing like nine to five. You know, my Dolly Parton and ends or or hi ho hi ho it's off to work we go and then ends her day with Dolly Parton nine to five. So there's <laughs> there's like a logical beginning and end to day. If you are somewhere where you can go walk around the block, you know, pretend like you're walking to work. And then walking home from work, like like actual actions that you can take, which begin and end your workday. Yeah, important. I love that. I love that. Um, you know that kind of fighting, fighting by having a routine and having something familiar, a marker, a physical or a sensory marker. I love that idea. You also. Um, gave us so many little insights, but you know, the idea that the brain is on fire, right. Um, it, it, it is absolutely overwhelming sometimes. And I think it's okay to admit that at this time. And I think for, for prioritization and for time blocking, you know, it, it's hard to do, but once you set it up, it, it becomes easier to do. Um, it's also self-leadership in, for example, for me to tell my supervisor or my colleague that, you know what, I'll get to that. Um, right now I'm focusing on this. So the communication, you know, not just from our brain to our body and our brain to, you know, a piece of paper where we reflect on what's our priorities, but I think communication within teams is something that cannot be taken so for granted, right? A hundred percent. And I think like we can't rely on like mind reading, <laughs> you know, like it, right now it's very important to speak up. And I think one of the things that leaders can do is start that dialogue, you know, where it might not have been comfortable in the past to, to have that dialogue, like start the dialogue, like, Hey, doing a check-in, like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And, you know, as leaders, I think it's really important not to be overly stoic in a time like this. I I know like, you know, okay, I'm a leader. I got, I got to keep my calm, cool, collect. Like I have to keep that going. I get that. But when you're so calm, cool and collected and it looks like nothing's bothering you, it makes, it makes everyone else around you feel like they're crazy that they actually are feeling something. So I, I think being, being moderately transparent, like being transparent with like, yeah, this is tough. This, this sucks. This is so hard or I'm really struggling today, but this is, and this is what we're doing. Um, to help keep us safe. And this is what we're doing to help keep the business alive. So I think those two things don't have to be, both, both of those things can be said kind of like you would work with a kid, you know, like if like allowing a kid to express their emotions and talk about what they're fearing, share with them what you're feeling in a moderated way. And then talk about like, well, as a family, this is what we're doing to keep safe. Yeah. The relatability becomes almost a leadership relaxation technique. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know if you work so much with like the marketing and creative fields, but in general, you know, in a time of prolonged ambiguity, how do we create, you know, spaces and reduce the pressure 
but acknowledge the very real deadlines of like being creative and coming up with new ideas. Um, what are some ways that we can look at that or actually accomplish that? Well, I think it's interesting and I hope I'm answering your question correctly, but um, are, are you asking like, how, how, how can you remain creative during a time like this and meet deadlines? Exactly. It was a long winded way of asking. <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, I think one of the things that often can get, like smash during a time like this is creativity because stress doesn't always uh, foster creativity. Um, but sometimes it can, <laughs> sometimes it can. So I think, I think one of the best things creative people can do is make sure they're infusing their lives with the, with, with some feel good stuff, like not always just work, 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 work. Cause we all have our different crisis personalities, right? Um, right. I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way. Like for example, my crisis personality is I'm a doer. Like I head down into work, do, 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 do. The good part about that is I get things done. The bad part about that is I'm less collaborative. I'm less empathetic and I neglect self-care and family care. So I I've acknowledged that to be able to be like, okay, that, that's not, I, 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 self-awareness is step one, but then action is step two. So I have to make sure I'm, I'm taking care of the other things for creative people. You have to figure out what your crisis personality is, right? Do you just do, 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 and like plow through to the point where you're not creative and you're just spinning and at your computer for hours upon end, or do you spin out of control? What is it that you do? And then find solutions. Like at times like this, you need to give your brain a break. So mindfulness practice, meditation practice is humor. Like watch a kitten and puppy video, watch a comic, taking those kind of breaks to like kind of release dopamine in your brain, make you, lighten yourself up a little bit, helps fuel creativity. Like that's not being lazy, taking those breaks. That's giving your mind a break to breathe, relax, and be able to kind of be a little bit more creative. Because we know that with creativity, doing things that we that are kind of adjacent to what we're supposed to do actually starts giving us the ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like with writing, you know, just doing some quote unquote bad uh, free writing, you know, could totally lead to something else. And, you know, not having the pressure. Um, I know I share kind of your proactive nature, but I've also found that, you know, the coronavirus pandemic has amplified different parts of my personality into my crisis personality. So, you know, I find that, you know, doing a sound bath meditation um, totally just either knocks me out or <laughs> and gives me rest or, you know, it just kind of helps release, you know, the the holding in the brain and um, that we referenced earlier. So yeah. I before you leave, I wanted to um, open up the floor for you to give any kind of Last thoughts, you know, I know we're, we're in this for the long run. This has been called a traumatic period, you mm -hmm. know, um, but what, what are some, you know, positives or what are some realities that we can, we can look at? Look, I think, I think some interesting things, look, you know, I think first of all, we all have to embrace the fact that, that we're experiencing loss. Right. We're, we're experiencing loss of the way we knew life to be and, and, and what we thought life will become, right? But I think with loss, I don't mean to sound cheesy here, but I think with loss comes kind of like also a rebirth in in how in how we show up after this. 
So I think each and every one of us has an opportunity to choose how we show up in this. We are living in a state of total and utter ambiguity. And like I said in the beginning, that is super tough for our brains and psychology. But we get to choose how we're showing up. And there's some also going to be some, I think, some really great changes to the workplace, to the way our world functions, to the way we treat one another. I mean, not for everyone. I think there's, (laughs) you know, I'm very, very concerned about how, um, how things will emerge and, you know, anger and things like that and, 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 and groups that feel marginalized and how they're, mm. or, or maybe don't have all the information and how they might be reacting. Like I, I do have a lot of concerns about that, but each and every one of us have the choice to show up in this time and after this time in a way that we choose. And I think that even though we can't control the ambiguity of this, we can control our behaviors in this. And I know every single person hears that all the time, but it has never been more true than now. Um, And I think part of choosing how to show up is also being less judgmental about yourself and other people and, and owning your own experience and allowing other people to have the experiences they're going to have. But, but we we do. It's figuring out what you do have control over and what you don't. And we do have control over how we're going to show up and, and, yeah. and, the, and the things that we're going to prioritize now. I, I, I think that, um, you know, at least for me, I have found that the things I used to prioritize, probably some of the things, not all of them, probably aren't that important. And this, this was a real wake up call. Like, Hey, this is what's important. That's not what's important. And I feel really lucky for having that insight. I wish it wasn't this that gave it. But I think if each and every one of us sit and really thought about it and, and thought about how we want to show up and what we want to focus our energy on and what we want to let go, I think some profound positive change can occur. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Letting go of the illusion of control. And um, thank you for reminding us about the ownership we have in you know our actions and our priorities and our reactions. Um, so I, again, want to thank you. Nicole, for your time and your insights and also your leadership in reminding us of, you know, the the realities and also the responsibilities that we have to ourselves and our teams. Thank you so much for having me. And I, and I, and I, I very much appreciate you and all that you are doing. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to Co for sharing that conversation. Uh, we're out of time this week, but don't forget you can reach out to us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Co M and uh, edited by Lane McGibney. If you have not already, please uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us, especially now. We need all the bright spots we can get. And uh, they also help new listeners discover the show. Uh, I am David Greiner for Adweek, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.